0: 98 that was my first year coaching and it, It was our best opportunity. I thought to win a championship We were confident that we can dethrone the Bulls. We felt like we were just as versatile We had Rick Smith, the Duncan Dutchman Mark Jackson one of the greatest assist guys the league has seen We had the Davis brothers Chris Mullen one of the sweet shooting players of all time And
1: Reggie Miller, our Hall of Fame
0: That series with Indiana was the hardest playoff series we had. They were big, they were strong, they were physical. If I had to pick a team that gave us the toughest time in the East, you know, Indiana was probably the toughest outside of Detroit. D.N. Davis Show, and we are lucky enough to be joined by someone who is near and dear to our hearts, sports producer at WGN, Larry Howley. Uh, anytime you saw some sports feeds because of this gentleman right here, uh, so we're always going to be appreciative. He's always going to be uh, one of the champions that we always big up. It's good to see Larry. How have you been doing?
2: I've been doing wonderful, guys. How about yourselves? Doing good,
1: doing Larry. Good. Representing doing good. So represent Larry. the ball and the ball head with the beard. I'm liking it, man.
2: Yeah, you know, I grew it probably – I'm almost on two years now. I think it was almost like two years ago right now that I started growing the beard. So uh-huh. I somebody Strong. suggested it. I, des- I decided to do it, and it's stayed ever since. Hey, you look good, man. You look good.
0: you a redhead?
2: No, but although it's funny you mention that because my childhood pictures actually have me with red hair. There's no family history of it. There's no hmm. any kind of record of it for some reason. I do have, there is like red hair traces. I don't know what it is, but it okay. will show up. So in some lights, it looks like I'm a redhead. It's a very, very weird kind
0: of oh, thing. Oh, so you freak You freak on like, him. I guess
2: so. <laughs> I you, said you, can you, can learn, you learn new things every day. So. Yeah. You
0: give him two Larrys. I'll, like, I'll give you this Larry, but then I'll give you this Larry. <laughs> so look, Larry, uh, let's <laughs> just def- definitely jump into it. Also follow Larry at Howley Sports. Uh, listen, one of the big things, and uh, just going through the history and thinking about it, because – I think most of us kind of like those Pacers teams. I mean, they were like a pain in the butt. And, I mean, like even with Reggie, like it's funny because I tweeted at Tony because he kind of finally came to the realization because he – you know, oh, everyone knows. Thank you, do for telling Tony Gill is. But I tweeted Tony because he's always had a lot of disrespect for Reggie Miller, and I've had to try to explain because he'll look at stats, and I'm like, you don't understand how cold-blooded this man was and how if if my life was on the line, even being someone who grew up with Michael Jordan, I would have taken Reggie to take that shot for me at that point, even with how great Ray Allen had become and Ray Allen had a better handle whatever, I still didn't put him as a shooter above Reggie. But one of the things I definitely want to jump to going back into that old Pacer team was a change in coaching because one thing that, even though this documentary has sussed out a lot of stuff, when you look at the fact that one of the GOATs in Larry Bird, and we also know a lot of times that uh, players, especially great players, don't make great coaches because they ask a lot of the players to be like them, which those players don't have the same fortitude, the will, or necessarily that skill set. But going from a Hall of Fame coach in Larry Brown to a guy that hadn't coached yet in Larry Bird. What was the transition, and what were were the thoughts of the fan base and the organization as far as how well they thought Larry Bird was going to adjust to becoming the first-time NBA coach?
2: Well, I know for a lot of people I talk to, you remember that, you know, let's take a look back at the Pacers of the 90s. You had their rise starting in 93. You might remember in uh, winning time, it started in the early, the first round of that 93 playoffs when the Pacers played the Knicks. The Knicks were much better, uh, but the Pacers – were showing that they were there. You might remember that Reggie got uh, John Starks kicked out of game three and helped the Pacers steal a win when they probably were a team that at that point was looking to get swept. So you have the 93, the 94 year where really the Pacers should have gone to the NBA Finals. The Knicks rose back after, you know, after the the Reggie 25.4th quarter. They rose back up. Then the Knicks came back to Market Square Arena And took out the Pacers and then won game seven in Madison Square Garden. So you have 95 where the Pacers finally get by them but lose to the Magic in game seven. They don't have enough. Remember, that Knicks series, the one that included the eight points in nine seconds in game one, was only the second round. They had to go to the conference finals and they lost to that great Orlando team in what ended up being pretty much their one shining moment. So after that, the Pacers had a little bit of a lull. You had Michael come back. Pacers were still good, but they were still falling behind. They weren't there. So now you have 96, you have 95, 96, 96, 97. And then they bring in Bird, and he gives a core that at that point wasn't aging but was older a little bit of a boost. And I think when you have that experience, you saw the Pacers take that next step up. And you saw that in the way that they were able to play the Bulls. You know, tough intensity. They were tough-minded in those games. You know, they lost two close games in Chicago. Come back and win another close game in game three. And then game four, really, probably, even for a Bulls fan, one of the great games of the 1990s, you know, where the Bulls, you know, so much transpired even that, that last five seconds. And, and reminded of looking back at the last dance last night, was watching what transpired even in those five seconds. And what it was is, you know, the, the Pacers throw the ball away. Pippen gets two free throws and misses them both. Mm-hmm. The ball is initially ruled to the Bulls. Instead, it's given to the Pacers. And then Reggie hits probably one of the great, again, forgotten shots, maybe nationally, but I think in Indianapolis, it's a critical one. He comes off and does a wonderful job, gives Michael the little nudge, mm-hmm. gets free. And then even with that, if you, if you want to call false, so be it. It's not going to happen. Reggie hits a great off-balance shot, three-pointer from the wing. And then, you know, he goes crazy. I called it spinning time when I made the little mm-hmm. video before the 11 playoffs trying to wrap up what the Bulls had done back then, what the Pacers had done back then, and how that rivalry was. I called it spinning time because it was an iconic moment. Then you forget that Jordan had a chance to win the game, double put, double clutched in the air, and it rimmed in, rimmed out. It, just an unbelievable finish. Uh, for those in Indianapolis, it actually came on Indy 500 race day, the year that Eddie Cheever won the race. So it's funny, all that was going on in this incredible sports day. The Pacers just didn't have quite enough. But Larry gave them that toughness, gave them that extra boost to give that era another push. In 1999, they were very close. That was the year I thought that they would win the championship when the Bulls left. And then, of course, in 2000, they went to the NBA Finals, but they didn't have enough. You know, the Lakers had Phil at that point. You had Kobe, you had Shaq, and their dynasty was beginning. So, Larry breathed some life into there. He was that little bit of life the Pacers needed to to have to push themselves back to where they were in the mid-90s, and then to take that next step up, they just couldn't quite take that championship step, just a little bit low. But Larry certainly brought a new attitude to it.
0: Dan Davis, right now we have Larry Howley, sports producer at WGN, joining us to talk the last dance from the Indianapolis Pacers uh, perspective, from the 98 team in the Eastern Conference Finals, but also just Indianapolis and the Pacers in general. Uh, One thing, you mentioned the 2000 team, and I want to take that 2000 team back to 98, because one of the key additions was a player that – his first couple of years in the league with Denver, he, he looked like a bust, and that was in Jalen Rose, who I think a lot of us were fans of with the Fat Five. What was it when he got there? Even though he only averaged 10 points, basically, that year they, they uh, played the Bulls in 98. He was so impactful being a big point guard. And then by the time he got to 2000s, and one thing I always love about Reggie Miller, I don't think a lot of people give him props, he gave his team a wave at least twice. And he was older when it was the Jermaine O'Neal around uh, Artest test time, uh, but still it was his team. He was still in his prime pretty much when he kind of gave that team to Jalen. So how did Jalen come into the team, change the team dynamic and also him to start to become the star player that, you know, he was, he was a middling star, but he did actually kind of become a star player.
2: I think knowing it, I think he just added a little bit more. He added a little bit more of that, you know, a new kind of look, a new kind of guy to add to that core team. And I think that it just, again, it gave him that little bit of boost, just like Larry Bird did. I think that he was a guy who was able to come in there a little bit of fresh blood, give them a new look, and it kind of transformed their team. I think Jalen did a wonderful job there. I think Jalen had a good NBA career. You might remember, actually, that when he joined the Bulls, so he was in the Artest trade that came up, Mm-hmm. I thought Jalen was a job of the Bulls to give him. Did he take the Bulls to the, the next level? No, but he breathed a little bit more of, an, mm-hmm. of enthusiasm to at least get the engine started because really for those three, four years after the Bulls lost the dynasty, there was nothing. You know, you had the Elton Brand draft. Elton was good. Then you trade him and try to get the two bigs in there. Nothing really got going. And then you, you, you bring in Jalen, and they're able to get something started. I think that he just, for whatever reason, was a catalyst. For the Pacers, it just took them a little bit more, gave them a little bit more of a different element and really transformed them, just took them up that next level. You have Larry, you add that up, so suddenly this Pacer team that might have been a bit of a low rises back up. You're up there again toward the, you know, very, very close to an NBA championship. Kind of a shame that Pacers team didn't get it because, you know, sometimes fates just don't work out. I really thought, again, I thought even back then, I thought 99 would be their year. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Larry, you bring up 1999, and one thing that's popping up a lot now, you hear on sports media, uh, the TV shows, the radio, talking about how Michael Jordan thought that the Bulls should have been able to at least kind of run it back and go for a seventh championship, right? But they would have probably ran it up against that 99-2000 Pacers team. So let's just play hypothetical with, that, with those two teams right there. Do you think the Pacers probably would have been able to get, get the Bulls back Another year after uh, the Bulls, you can kind of see we're kind of getting tired. So what do you think?
2: That's a great question. And there's a good thing that's brought up, I think, a couple times in the documentary is the fact that Jordan was a little tired. He was taking a lot of the load on. He was able to accept that load. He was able to do very well with that. But it was getting things worn down. And I've often debated this, you know, because I often think that if the Bulls, let's just say they, they bring everybody back. Let's assume that Rodman wants to come back for another year. Let's assume Pippen probably signed some sort of long-term deal because I don't know necessarily if he would have taken a one-year deal as it right. went to the last dance. He was pretty bitter at the fact that he was stuck on that contract for so mm-hmm. long. I mean, in many ways, he kind of sat out the early part of the 97-98 season and kind of in somewhat of a, a pseudo-protest to that. Mm-hmm. So let's just assume they bring everybody back. I, I don't know. I mean, that peso team was right there. And it could have been what you could have seen as a situation that came up in 1993 when you had the Knicks build up their team. And then they're able to get the home court advantage, but they still didn't have enough to beat Jordan. They still didn't have enough there. It would have been very interesting to see Michael then seven years later to see a little bit older Rodman. I think a Pippen still somewhat in his prime. I, I don't know if necessarily in the rest of his career really ever topped that, but he was still in a prime time of his career. He still had something left. Mm-hmm. It's a great debate. I think the Pacers would have had something for him, and I think the Pacers very well could have beat him. But again, maybe it's, it's growing up in Chicago and knowing Michael Jordan. It would have been hard to count him out. It would have been a heck of a series. I'm going to kind of assume they would have met in the, the conference finals. I I don't know. It would have been close. But the Pacers would have had as good of a chance as they ever did. But, you know, fate's weird. You know, you might remember that was an eighth-seeded Knicks team that knocked the Pacers Mm -hmm. out. Larry Johnson, four-point play at Madison Square Garden. It was a weird year. You know, strike years bring out weird things. And that was a weird year. And suddenly a Knicks team that looked like they're – dynasty was done that did not have Patrick Ewing for mm-hmm. most of that, based uh, on of that playoff run. Yeah. They didn't have him in the finals against the Spurs. Yes. They go to the NBA finals out of nowhere. You don't know. It would have been very good. And I'm not trying to be non-committal to it. The Pacers would have had a great shot to win it. It would have been their next Goliath, their next Godzilla. If you want to put Reggie Miller, you know, as he was, in the, you know, in the 1990s, it was David versus Goliath, the Hicks versus the Knicks. It would have been that thing again. Maybe Reggie does it and Reggie could have done it because Reggie – as you know, saved his best for the for the biggest. You saw that uh, with the Knicks, and I think you saw that a few times, a number of times with the Bulls. It would have been a compelling series. It would have been fantastic. And if the Bulls had gotten past the Pacers, they would have won. They would have won a seven title. I think they would have been able to get past the Spurs, a fantastic team. But you know, I just I think they would have gotten past them. But it would have been a fantastic series. It would have way to end the '90s. It would have been. But you know, fates happen.
1: It would have been nice. Larry Howley right here, D and Davis show. Make sure you follow Larry on Twitter at Howley Sports, a producer da- sports producer down at WGN. I'm going to put it right back to you on this one as well. Going back to seeing a lot of interviews with Reggie Miller and Jalen Rose, who will swear up and down that they had a better team than the Bulls. With the Davis boys, you had uh, Mark Jackson, Reggie Miller. I know I, I, I will to put it to you. Do you think that Pacer team was actually better than the older – uh bulls team in 98 97
2: 98 it's a great question i still think the bulls were just a smidge better i think they were just a smidge better and it's all because of michael jordan when you have the best player in the game it changes everything It, i really believe it changes everything but the pacers were right there i i think it was i mean in my mind i think the pacers the pacers the bulls and the jazz that year were all Stack so close together, mm. and it was very close. That you know, you I, they made an argument on the show last night that that '98 Pacers team might have been the best chance they had to win an NBA championship, and that might have been true. Uh, the Pacers were the best team in the Eastern Conference next year without Jordan. I, I think that it would have been. I may check myself on that, but I believe the Pacers were the number one team in the East in 1999. I will check myself on that a little bit. Um, but there, one, it's very interesting to have looked at you know, how they did match up. I mean, I think that Rodman still had that great energy. I, I still think he brought a lot to it. I, I think the Pacers, it, it, it's, it's, it's tough to, to really look at it. But the Pacers had everything that they needed. And they had their star in Reggie. You know, you have the Davis boys. You have, you know, you go ahead and you have Mark Jackson, a veteran point guard who was brought in to be one of those guys to help out. You know, you've got Jalen it was very close. I give the edge to the Bulls only because because they have Michael. But it was very close everywhere else, extremely close. I just give the edge because I think the Bulls had Michael, and I think Michael makes that kind of difference.
0: One person team, though, not to be forgotten, that definitely had a chance to win a title is the Malice and the Palace team. Like that team, how stacked oh. they were. That I would say that that one with My Reggie team. and Jalen – but then the dig hey, you forget how stacked that Malice and the Palace okay. team was. They were they had a lot of talent throughout. Well, uh, Dean Davis with Larry Howley still talking about the last dance. Uh, one thing I did want to talk about was the changes in the offense compared to Larry Brown, especially having Reggie Miller such a prolific three-point shooter. And when Rick Carlisle was running the offense under Larry Bird, with Larry Brown, they were like, 24th in the league as far as attempts, and with Rick Carlisle, they had gotten up to like fourth. And kind of how that is similar to how the NBA's played today, where it's 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 inside out. They played inside out, but not necessarily inside to score. It was more inside to get the defenses to clamp down to get it, the ball back out to their shooters.
2: Yeah, and that's what helped out a lot. I think, again, another step that they added into that sort of Pacer realm. And and you speak of that, you know, 2004, 2005 Pacer team. Remember the, the Pal- Malice of the Palace game? They won that game. They were up pretty handily, probably double digits easily. Ron Artest might have won the MVP that year. You know, he was who he was. Ron was a character. He was like a Rodman. You couldn't dispute him on the floor – what he had done. He had an incredible game that, that, that day. And they were able to make the adjustments. Again, you have this incredible thing. You have Reggie kind of on his last legs, you know, kind of getting toward the end of his career, but by no means was he bad, but he was starting to get toward the end. I think that was his 18th year in the league was 0405. And I think they just made subtle adjustments here and there that really helped them out. And I think that that by just adding a little bit to that and being able to have the inside guys where they could do that, and make that work, make that happen. Again, you you add a little bit to it. And you saw the evolution of a Pacer team. And I think again, oh four oh five might have been their year. Oh three oh four could have been their year. Mm-hmm. You you might remember the Taishawn Prince block on Reggie Miller in game two. The Pacers go up two nothing. Maybe that. they win that series. And as we look at that, you know, as we look at what the NBA finals were that year. You know the the Lakers, which looked to be another great dynasty team, they were kind of on their last legs and kind of ran out against against the Pistons. That's another year that the Pacers had that they were very close. It's it's amazing because the Pacers had this 15-year sort of window to break through for a championship. You know they ran into tough Knicks teams. They run into an Orlando team. They run into the Bulls. Have bad luck in '99. Run into the Lakers in 2000. Re-energize again. And then you have the brawl, and obviously that changed everything. And it changed the franchise for not just one year, but a number of years. It took a long time for that team to really find themselves, not only a part of the Indianapolis sports lore, and getting back. you know, Because remember, in that time, that was the rise of Peyton Manning.
0: Mm. So when
2: the the brawl, suddenly here come the Colts to take their spot at the top of the Indianapolis sports landscape. You know, Indianapolis has, you know, if you look at it, they have, you have racing with the Indianapolis 500 and its history there. You have the Colts, who came to town in the 80s. You had really slow starts, had a couple of hiccups, excuse me, kind of hiccups in positivity. And then you had the Pacers, and the Pacers under Reggie, who took the town. You have the brawl. Suddenly, Manning comes up with this incredible offense. They're making championships, eventually win a championship. And they took the Pacers' spot there at the top. And suddenly you had that, so, and, and that was kind of the end. It's, it is kind of a shame that that Pacer team couldn't hang a banner because they not only had one team that could have won it, but they had three versions of that team
0: yeah. that
2: could have won a championship. Fate running into the right people. That's why I say, and this will take it to baseball completely differently, everybody are talking about the sadness of the Cubs not winning four or five or this end of the dynasty. The Cubs got one. Yeah. The Indians haven't gotten one. The Dodgers haven't gotten one. And who knows what's going to happen now. It's so important to never forget how important it is just to get one because one makes one is one, and you can never take that banner away. Unfortunately, that incredible Pacers era led by one of those generational players in Reggie Miller just, just could never get through to break, break through and get one.
0: Dean Davis right here. We have Larry Holley, uh, producer, sports producer at WGN. Uh, Larry, real quick, because uh, I want to focus on Reggie because one, when you brought up the on Prince block and going back down memory lane, I remember because that's like either the season after or two seasons after uh, Reggie had like the scratched up retina or whatever, and he was finishing everything at the rim. And we know Reggie, I mean, Reggie was more of a layup guy, yeah, he but him. he was he was finishing at that. He, old Reggie was finishing everything at the rim around that time. But really, I, one thing I, I definitely remember down I had to ask you is what's the, I, I mean from looking on the outside, the lack of appreciation for Reggie Miller with no statue being outside. He carried uh, Indiana basketball. They're going back to when he was drafted and they wanted offered uh, to be picked and they went and got the better player in UCLA And Reggie Miller. Like, it, Reggie Miller is Indiana basketball professionally. Now, if it's not the high school beloved level, I get it, but professionally, and he was a guy that stared down the goat and basically said, I don't care what they say, I'm coming at you. With a, a lesser skill set, but with such bravado, and you would think that a small a small town mentality, quote-unquote, even though Indianapolis isn't a small town, that they would really appreciate that guy and, and, and really put him on a high plateau.
2: Well, I think they do. I, 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 a statue, a statue, eventually they'll build one. I think eventually they'll do that. Reggie is appreciated by that town and. He, he is an icon. He's, he is a – if there's a Mount Rushmore of Indianapolis, he's on it. Oh, yeah. I, I think he's on it. It's him and Peyton, in my opinion. Now, the Pacers, to be fair, have a very proud ABA history. Mm. Three championships, iconic players. Roger Brown, a fantastic player that I think gets overlooked in the history of, of, of professional basketball. Uh, mm. If you don't know about Roger Brown, you need to learn, people need to learn about Roger Brown. Fantastic player. Uh, Mel Daniels amazing player Mel Daniels is an incredible player he's in the Hall of Fame uh, you know Bob Slick Leonard the head coach great professional history of basketball in Indianapolis that comes before Reggie but let's go back to Reggie there's no doubt in my mind that Indianapolis loves him he's embraced he is a man that helped to put Indianapolis on the map as a professional sports town there's no doubt about it I think the people love him because he was that guy that said, hey, we're going to take him on. We're going to take on the Giant. We're going to take on New York. This is our team. We can go in there. They call us Hicks versus Knicks. We don't care. We're going to be those guys. He embraced it. He embraced being the David versus the Goliath. He embraced being a guy that people may not have wanted at first. People wanted Steve Alford. Take you back to 1987. Take you back to then, the Indiana basketball. The Hoosiers had just won the national championship. They did so with Steve Alford as the leader. They did so when Indiana basketball was at the Zenith, when the Hoosiers arguably they were the most popular team in the state. Um, you might argue, you know, Notre Dame is so national, but, but I think Indiana basketball is the most popular thing in the state. Yeah. Um, Donnie Walsh made an incredible move there to take a risk and say, you know what, we're going to go ahead and take this guy. And people didn't like it, but he was okay with doing that. Uh, you might remember that years later that uh, the Pacers did the same thing when Gordon Hayward was there, you know, at number eight. You know, he was up there uh, when the Pacers around were picking. They didn't get it. Utah took Gordon Hayward before that. Guess who the Pacers take? They take Paul George. Not a lot of people heard about him. And Paul would lead another era of the franchise in the coming years. Reggie is appreciated and beloved in Indianapolis. Um, he's an icon. He's someone that people look up to as someone who put Indianapolis back on the map. You want to talk about Indianapolis being recognized as a national sports town is this town that hosted a Super Bowl. Reggie Miller has a lot to do with building that profile for what he did against New York in the 1990s, what he did against Chicago uh, when they faced in the late 90s, and then eventually getting the Pacers over it. So many reasons why. Again, I think that it was the way he played. People respected that. His clutch play. Remember, he was as good in the big moments as anybody in the history of the game. And again, he stayed in Indianapolis. There were moments... Uh, that be thought about it. But Reggie stayed the whole time. He played every year in Indianapolis. And I think there'll be a statue of Reggie someday, and he'll continue to be adored. He, he is a hero in Indianapolis. He's an icon. And he always he has been, and he always will be.
1: D and David show right here with Larry Howley of WGN Sports Reporter, a uh, sports producer, I'm sorry, uh, down there. Also, make sure you follow Larry on uh, Twitter at Howley Sports. He has some really good content there, really, really mm-hmm. good content. Uh, all right, Larry, so... Give us I've never been to a game down in Indianapolis uh, basketball arena. Ken has, but as a fan, give us the perspective of watching the game down there, not the new stadium, but at Marcus Square Arena. Cause you see, uh, in the last dance, the one shot of the lady in the background. Uh, I think she could. I think she works in television as as well. I, I'm not for sure. I think I saw something on Twitter saying, "Hey, did everybody, see me." But just seeing her just going crazy, and us being Bulls fans looking at the games down there, it's like, man, these folks are nuts. But <laughs> we can get a little crazy up here in the United Center too, at Old Chicago Stadium. But give us uh, take us in as as to like what it was like to watch a game in Market Square Arena.
2: I feel terrible. I actually never saw a game there, but I talked oh. to tons of I've talked to tons of people who have. Okay. Uh, it was an amazing arena. It was really built for basketball, mm. and you know, if you might know a little bit about Indianapolis history, it actually hosted the Indianapolis Racers of of uh, the, the WHA, which was going on uh, back in the 70s for a little bit. Mark Messier, Wayne Gretzky had a little bit of time there. They had one really good team there, uh, so hockey hosted, but it's a basketball venue. It was extremely loud from what I've always heard, extremely passionate guys, uh, people who were uh, men and women, I should say, extremely passionate fans, and the place was built for noise. Like Chicago Stadium, mm-hmm. they could get extremely loud. Some of the most passionate, loud fans that were there and made it a true home court advantage for the Pacers. Uh, when they went into the arena, they did so uh, when they were at the end of their ABA days. So the place really developed kind of its own sort of character later in its life. Almost in some ways, like Chicago Stadium did for basketball, when it became this incredible venue, when in the final years when Jordan was there, you see passionate fans. There's a uh, flamingo guy uh, that I'm trying to remember his name off the top of my head. I did a story on him because he's actually still going to uh, Conseco Fieldhouse, well, Conseco Fieldhouse now Bankers Life Fieldhouse, mm-hmm. and I think they may have even undergone another name switch since then. Mm-hmm. And it's you know again, Market Square was a home floor advantage like you would have for Chicago Stadium like the Knicks had when they had a Madison Square Garden at times uh, during the 1990 or mid-1990s. In 1992-93, in fact, the Knicks, I think, lost four total games. They, they played maybe about 47 before they played the Bulls, and the Bulls were able to knock them off. By the way, random note, greatest game of the dynasty, 1993 Eastern Conference Finals, Game 5. No doubt about it, one of the best. If you haven't seen it and you want to go on YouTube, go take a watch. In my opinion, people forget about it. Best game, maybe one of the best endings with Charles Smith unable to get a shot off somehow, some way. kept blocking. Yeah. (laughs) Smith again blocked, Smith again blocked, Smith again blocked. Finally, Horace to MJ to BJ runs down the floor, puts it in. You see Jordan going nuts, jumping up and down, firing up. Uh, One of the great Bulls games, but I digress a little bit for that. Mm -hmm. Market Square Arena had that, and it was a loud venue with very passionate (gasps) fans a place where the Pacers came in there knowing they had a home floor. You look at one of the great, as we I mentioned it a little bit earlier on, one of the great Knicks wins of that era, which kept their finals hopes alive, was the 1994, the East finals game six, where they went in there. So this is after the Reggie incredible fourth quarter. Spike Lee gets a seat. I think it was a car dealer who gave up his seat. Mm. So, you know, Spike could be down there to watch the game. Uh, obviously, fans were, were razzing him quite a bit. Knicks go in there and pull off a pretty incredible victory Uh, when, you know, Reggie Miller, you know, he, um, in winning time, Reggie mentions that he missed a free throw with a chance to give the Pacers the lead and how that kind of turned that game. Um, Interesting again, on another tangent uh, mentioned last night, and I've heard that before 1998 game seven of that East finals, there was a jump ball with Rick Smiths that he didn't get in the fourth quarter. The Pacers had a chance to, Increased the lead, I believe, up to about five or six. Five points, yep. But I didn't get up that, Pacers don't get that. Bulls come down, tie the game, you know, and they never got the momentum back. Mm. But Market Square was a place like that. Incredible venue.
0: Yeah, I, from my experience, and it was at Conseco in the playoffs, uh, me and my buddy went. And, uh, l- listen, it was, it was compared to the United Center, it was a lot more dudes. Uh, there then because usually it's kind of mixed with the UC but the thing was they, like you said they were very passionate but this is the thing walking out they were pretty nice and like the Bulls had we, the Bulls had won that game uh, and people only rads people were giving us is they didn't actually believe we were from Chicago they thought we were from Indiana that were Bulls fans and I was telling the guys like you can come look at my license plates I'm, they're Illinois license plates but the thing that I always take away from that game is how nice those people were when we were walking back we had to walk blocks to get back to my ride and how just cool. Like people, of course, they team lost, but it wasn't anger. And, you know, when you're in a different city, those are some of the things that stick out to you because you're not at home. Anything can happen. That's one thing that I always just I keep in mind is how nice uh, necessarily those fans were. Uh, Dean Davis with Larry Halley, uh, sports producer at and Larry, I want to ask you a, a question on some of the players from those teams that are kind uh, of unheralded. Cor- of course, we heard the name Duncan Dutchman, but also, I mean, you know, I'm Davis, so the Davis brothers in my house. <laughs> You know, we kind of had an affinity for the Davis brothers, and uh, at that time, to have a tandem of power forwards, you know, that that, that nobody really had that. It was where if one of these guys gets tired, you had these three bigs at the time. How important were they to the contribution of that team? In particular, I, I, Rick Smith, who, you know, at the he was ascending at a point where you could say he was the fifth best center in the NBA, maybe seventh, mm-hmm. and then it kind of just kind of petered out, you know, like what necessarily happened with Rick Smiths, and what's the impact of uh, Rick Smiths and the Davis brothers for that Indiana, uh, I won't say championship run, but playoff runs?
2: Well, I mean, he was getting up there in age. You know, I think it was simply a a case of time. And you're right about Smiths. Uh, You know, I think that was just simply was. I believe he retired after the 2000 season. Uh, That was pretty much about the end. So when they made the finals again, they were probably that kind of group and that run was right there at about the end. Reggie certainly was not, but a lot of those other guys were. And it's the same impact that you might say the physical players had on the Bulls. You needed rebounders to win in that Eastern Conference. You had to have your big guys to go up against, you know, the Ewings and and the Oakleys and and the Masons of New York. Mm -hmm. You know, eventually with the Bulls, with Horace Grant and Bill Cartwright. Bill Cartwright gets overlooked a lot when it comes to these Bulls teams. You know, there's a reason why the Bulls traded Charles Oakley, a very popular player with Michael Jordan, is they had to have that muscle. The Eastern Conference, you needed muscle. You had to have that muscle to go in there and be a tough team. And the Davis guys were it. They were the guys who could go in there when New York would come at them and smack them back. And you saw that especially come out winning time with how important they were when the Pacers were ascending. So when we're going past the 93s into 94 and 95, they, they were the muscle. They were the talent inside that would allow the Pacers to counter it and, again, free up Reggie to do his thing. They were incredibly important, just as many of those power guys were in the Eastern Conference. They were incredibly important, huge in many ways. That's what teams needed to do to to win back then. You had to have the muscle. Uh, Perfect example for the Bulls, 1995. Who was your rebounder when they made the playoffs? Who was your guy? He really wasn't there. You Mm -hmm. get Dennis Rodman. You take a team that's losing to Orlando, a team that had incredible talent, And you're blowing past Orlando in four games next year. The muscle was big. Having that muscle talented big men meant something in the Eastern Conference back then. The Davis brothers were huge. And especially Rick Smith, one of those guys endeared to Pacer fans. You know, unknown, develops himself with the Pacers, becomes a part of this iconic team. One of the more popular players in the history of the Pacers, certainly for that era.
0: One guy, and you don't even have to expound on him, but one guy that I always think about in today's basketball sense it's positionalist is Super or Derek McKee. Because at that time, if you were a guy that was a small forward, power forward, but you really were, you weren't you were swole enough to be a power forward and you were too tall perhaps to be a small forward, you were kind of thrown into that, that, ah, we don't kind of know role. And I just sometimes think about players like that, players like even though it, the, the NBA changed like Antoine Jameson and stuff like that. But one thing I did want to ask you before we get out of here, uh, one of the, the biggest parts of uh, the last dance was the Bulls versus the Pistons and how the Pistons basically sharpened steel in the Bulls and propelled them to be a great franchise. How was is the Isaiah Thomas reign as the head coach of the Pacers? Like uh, one thing I always think about as good is his work with Jermaine O'Neal. But uh, when when Larry came back in the front office, he was out of there. How was that? That brief period of Isaiah Thomas as the head coach of the Indiana Pacers?
2: Good, and eventually you know, you know kind of finished badly. It wasn't what you know he was brought in there as kind of a change. Try to, again, try to kick up a little bit something with new. It just didn't work out. It was one of those things. It wasn't. It was a brief era. Uh, things just didn't work out with Isaiah. You know, Isaiah had a great history in Indiana, you know, came there with the pedigree of be, of winning a championship at IU. Again, we talked about how important Indiana basketball is to the state. Oh, you know, Isaiah was thought very well of, you know, even with the Piston teams. Although the Piston teams really didn't have that kind of, like I always call it, blood rivalry uh, with the Pacers. They, their eras didn't ever quite match up in that era. Obviously, let's go – deeper into the 2000s and absolutely that's that's the blood rival right there for the pacers in that era but back then the teams didn't really cross up it just didn't work out with isaiah that's kind of how i would just simply put it it just didn't work you know they they were kind of there and then you bring in carlisle and things work it just for whatever reason it it just didn't pay off it just the chemistry just didn't do it
0: is outside of jerry west is larry bird the greatest basketball mind of all time
2: It's a good question because obviously he had such incredible success when he was with the Pacers in just that short era when he was their coach. And we mentioned how you mentioned earlier how it's difficult sometimes for these elite players to become elite coaches or elite general managers. And Lurie did a nice job when he was in the front office for the Pacers. And he, you know, there were there were some down moments. He obviously had a lot to do. So after the brawl happened, the Pacers had to do some cleaning up. They had to they had to change the look of they had to change the look feel what their roster was. A lot of guys had to go, um, and it was tough because a lot of those guys were very talented. Lurie did a nice job to kind of get that started. Uh, you know, get it going. And then, you know, with the Paul George, you know, act, you know, draft uh, the Lance Stevenson, let's not forget Lance Stevenson. Lance was a late pick. Uh, he was the guy the Pacers took a risk on. He had had his issues. Lance became an, an elite guard. And, you know, if you redraft that, let's just say you redraft, you know, the 2010 draft maybe in 2014 or 15 Lance mm-hmm. is a top five pick and Paul George is number one. Those are two critical plays that, that I thought the Pacers did he's got to be up there you know you think about it it it, probably top three probably top three considering what he was able to do I think his time as coach is brilliant the way he was able to really you know take what he had and get one more push out of him was incredible again the coaching job by Larry was was amazing he's up there I top three it's hard for me to pronounce him as the, the greatest of all time I know some people Uh, who claim he's the greatest player of all time. A lot of people love Bird. He has incredible following. As far as being there, I think that – I think is one of the great minds. He's right there. He's up there. He certainly is up there. Could he be top? Sure, he could be top three. In my mind, he's top three.
0: So, wait, you're putting uh, Red Albach and Jerry West ahead of him, I take it?
2: Probably, probably. I think probably that they're up there. I think Larry's up there. He could be in the top five. It's one of those interesting debates, and in your mind, you kind of know who's there. It's kind of like in your mind. In my mind, for me, the best players in the history of the game, I, I, I have Jordan 1. I think you can put LeBron 2, maybe Kareem 2, 3. And Once you get after that, you, you can get a little, you know, froggy with things. You, know, yeah. you can get a little bare. You know, yeah. you could put Larry Bird at 3. You could do, you could do Michael, LeBron, Bird. You could do Michael LeBron magic. You could do Michael LeBron Kobe. Mm -hmm. You could do Michael Kareem and, you know, yeah. And LeBron, there's all sorts of wonderful, it's a wonderful debate. I don't think, I don't really get into it. I've actually been a LeBron fan for many years. Mm -hmm. I think he plays the game well. I think he can, he, the way I, I like how he is as a leader off the court personally, I think that he's really done a wonderful job to, do what he can for the community. I'm not saying that that's a requirement of athletes, but I think he's gone above and beyond. I love the way he played the quote-unquote villain role when he went to Miami. I, I thought it was wonderful. I thought he added that element back to the league and made it so much more compelling. He goes back to Cleveland. So I have a lot of respect for LeBron. and have a lot of respect for, you know, Kareem and, and Larry and, you know, what Larry did to create his own Celtics dynasty and then come very close a couple times to doing the same with the Pacers. But for a long answer, yes, Larry's Larry's up there.
1: <laughs> All right, Larry. So what do you think about the current state of the uh, Indiana Pacers?
2: You know, I'm really curious to see what, you know, what becomes of Oladipo. Obviously he's going to be up for a contract extension soon. And, and it's been amazing to see, you know, we talk about Indiana icons, you know, Victor Oladipo is one of those guys uh, in the kind of rebirth of the program following the Samson era, which they had a lot of scandal and, mm you know you have this kind of disaster that you know goes under you can give to me to Tom Crean, who I think did a hell of a job and doesn't get quite the respect one of the reasons is is because that Oladipo Zeller team couldn't make it to the final four and was there I'm really curious to see how Victor Oladipo develops as an icon of that team is he next is he the next Reggie Uh, is he the next Paul George what is going to become he's the most compelling guy I'm really curious to see what's next for him because Victor had a major injury that's the most compelling element of the team for me I'm really curious to see because Indiana's had these really big stars they've had the the Miller uh you know they had to a degree what was going to be the Test. I think Ron could have maybe ascended to that We'll, we'll never quite know uh you had the Paul George obviously that had an incredible rise it again didn't end very well I'm really curious to see how Victor Oladipo is going to develop into a star. And if he develops into a franchise icon, it's compelling. That's the most compelling thing I look at. And I say, wow, what's, what's going to happen um, with them? What's going to happen with them? They probably have a little bit more, but I think they've got a good thing going. Um, I think if, if the Bulls were going to be anything they would do, it'd be cool to see them kind of do what Indiana's done and mm. build slowly, build yeah. to the modern yeah. game. It'd be great to see what the Bulls can do. And I said, I'm really happy the Bulls have finally – Chosen to rebuild and chosen to take a different path. Um, there's my whole debate on the uh, eras of John Paxson; these two distinct eras that border on generations. That's mm. probably a whole mm. nother podcast. On how
0: <laughs> it's, a nother podcast. it's a whole podcast.
2: It's a whole other podcast. I have my memories of John Paxson are very fond, very fond, because of mm. the John Paxson of my childhood, right, not right, of the right. John Paxson of. You know, a guy that just that was able to get an incredible player in Derrick Rose, and when things went wrong, the franchise could never do it. And then when they tried to rebuild, it just didn't work. And, you know, there, there are two different eras, and it's interesting. It's a generational line. It's always very interesting to see how it goes. But, again, that's the long answer. I'd probably go on too much. But Victor Oladipo, I'm really curious to see what his place in history is going to be in that franchise.
1: All right, Larry, and you also said that you could have, we talked about this last dance for hours and hours and hours. Obviously we all loved it. We loved every episode 10 episodes of it, but what was your biggest takeaway from the last dance?
2: I think the biggest takeaway for me is the fact that we continue to see the human Michael Jordan because someone who was a kid grew up as Michael Jordan as this icon, Mm -hmm. this superhero. I had posters, I had jerseys, I had t-shirts. Uh, I have an incredible collection of Michael Jordan Sports Illustrateds, of newspapers. Michael Jordan was as close to a superhero, superhuman, as anybody in the time that I grew up. Uh, you know, Charles Barkley says, you know, I'm not a role model. Well, Michael Jordan was a role model to me. I based my career, my life off of hard work, off of incredible determination of of not settling for not just being good or being better being the best michael jordan the way he approached things that was it uh, it's he is an icon but he's an icon who is a person too nobody's perfect we wish we could be perfect but nobody's perfect mm-hmm. you learn that lesson through life in so many ways you learn as myself i you know i'm i'm not you can try to achieve or try to strive for things It doesn't always end up the way you might have hoped. Mm. You aren't always the person you hope to be. Michael had his flaws. You know, Michael did like to gamble a lot. but Was it a dangerous addiction? No, he could pay for everything he could. You know, but these flaws were brought out. You know, you saw how competitive he was. He, frankly, was a a jackass to his teammates at times. He was a jackass to his teammates at times. He started fights. He would pick at them. He picked at Jerry Krause. He was a competitive guy, sometimes to a fault. But you saw a human side of him. You saw Jordan acknowledgement that that's who he was. Michael was human. He admitted he wasn't perfect. He admitted the fact that he did so was because he wanted his teammates to be better. But he also had this incredible drive. He was candid. He was open with it. I think that's why he released it. We learned that Michael Jordan wasn't perfect many, many years ago. A new generation just learning about Jordan beyond the highlights, beyond the stuff they may read. You learn that now. Michael Jordan was a human. Michael Jordan was this incredible guy, but he was a human too. He got tired. He got tired in 1993. He was exhausted. And the greatest player in the world could step aside and pursue a dream he always had. He had the guts to do that. And he took criticism for it, as we saw with Sports Illustrated. You know, Michael put himself out there for true criticism but he did it. He was a human. He had a dream. He had something in his mind that he wanted to do. And we saw these human sides of Michael Jordan, a guy getting tired, a guy who admitted, you know, maybe I was too competitive. We learned about the human Michael Jordan beyond any of the little tidbits that were really cool. By the way, the last ceremony for the last dance was just fantastic. That was amazing. I I would kill to have heard that poem. Right. We learned, We learned more and more that Michael Jordan was a human being, along with being a superstar, being a Chicago icon, um, being arguably the greatest athlete in the history of Chicago sports. Um, Walter Payton wants something to say. And yes. all those of the supporters of Walter Payton want something to say about that. One of the great icons, you know, Michael Jordan was not perfect. And over the course of 10 episodes, we saw that. We saw a human Michael Jordan, not just the superhuman Michael Jordan.
0: One thing that I can say that I didn't think about, I was watching uh it may have been it was maybe been first day. No, I was watching NBA The jump. Today. Trace McGrady was on there with Rachel Nichols and they also had uh, they also had Richard Jefferson on there. And one thing that they said that they think that this thing is gonna be as far as the Lance Dance so great for future generations because they never saw Mike, but also his competitiveness. It's in this AAU world that we live in where everyone wants to be chummy, they're gonna be kids that are gonna look at Michael Jordan like, no, I wanna be like that. And just like what you just said, which was very compelling, Larry, as far as how like I used to say, as far as Michael Jordan, I I didn't look up to athletes as uh, as as like to be my hero, but I did actually look at him as someone to follow because. He didn't just want to beat you. He wanted to destroy you. And, like, coming from Chicago, like, anything competitive, I feel like that was our nature in that generation. Yeah, I didn't just want to inch past you. I wanted you never to come back. And it was great hearing Michael say that. Then when you gave team that last year when Scotty set out, well, Scotty was injured, but he had delayed surgery, how it gave teams a chance to actually think there's a chance to beat the Bulls. And you never want to give your any enemy any type of inkling that you're slipping. So I'm, I'm in total agreeance. Uh, actually, I feel like I need to go and do something harder right now after this conversation <laughs> i need to focus my mind uh, but definitely uh, it's been a pleasure and it's been great getting your angle yes. from the last dance larry anybody follow larry at holly sports a uh, wonderful gentleman has always been a pleasure for us and we always appreciate you and we wish you and your family nothing but safety during the COVID 19 stay at uh, stay in shelter that's going on right now and even after it opens up and we all go back out please still stay safe
2: no, thank you, man. I appreciate it, and I wish the same to your families and uh, to Kenneth and Demons. Uh, the respect I have for what you guys have done is absolutely incredible. You've built this growing almost empire now that is this, uh, this this podcast. You've done it all with your hard work, your determination. You made it easy for me to pick you to come on Sports Feed because you guys aren't are afraid to express your opinions. You're not afraid to put in the work to get yourselves out there. Uh, I've said before, you guys are an example for those who are coming up. You talk about Jordan being example for us. You're an example for those sports fans who want to start a podcast, who want to become a part of the mainstream in the city to which they enjoy the sports. You guys have provided that, that blueprint in, in your own way. And, and much praise to you guys for what you've done, what you've built uh, and what you will continue to build, and even just during the the pandemic, what you guys have done as far as producing content when there is no sports. Um, like I said, man, I looked up to you guys for what you guys have done. It's impressive, and uh, continue good work. It was my honor to join you, and, and hope I can do it again.
1: Anytime, Larry. Thank yeah, you,
0: man. man. Look, you mean tremendously a lot, and our stepping stones come from you setting us out there, and I always remember that.
1: Yes. No, th- thank you. All right. Thanks, Larry.